It's simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike Show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike Show, Kyle Ball. Kyle is a queer horror filmmaker from Edmonton, Alberta. In 2017, he began a web series called Nightmares, where he amassed a modest cool following of horror fans from all over the world. Kyle recently finished post-production on his first feature-length horror film, Skinner Ring. And so, Kyle, welcome to the Tea with Mike show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Mike? I'm not too bad. Well, thanks for being here. Looking forward to learning more about your story into the world of film and some of the cool film projects that you've got going on. But first off, can you start by telling everyone a little bit about where you grew up and where you call home now? Okay, so I grew up in Edmonton and am still in Edmonton. So I grew up in Clairview, which is northeast, and everything comes full circle. My parents still live in the same house that I grew up in, so naturally we filmed my first feature, Skin and Marink, in, in the house I grew up in. That's awesome, man. And so what, what was some of the things you enjoyed doing like when you were growing up? I got into horror pretty young, so when I was, I think, in kindergarten is when I first started collecting Goosebumps books. Even though the reading comprehension level was a little bit above me at that age, I caught up to it fairly quickly. And then I got more into horror through the television series Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then fairly young, I got more acquainted with kind of more adult horror. So when I was eight years old, my parents showed me and my sister The Shining, which maybe not the best parenting decision, but like, you know, you can't argue with results. And slowly over time, horror kind of became my thing. So like when I was little, other little kids, their thing was like dinosaurs or like, I want to be a policeman or, or unicorns or, right. or whatever. I never really had a thing when I was little until I got into horror. And then that was kind of consistently my thing. And then as I got into, became a teenager, I got more into just cinema in general. So there was a alternative video store, which is now closed, obviously, in Edmonton called Alternative Video Spot. They were kind of like the cool video store that had like all the criterions, all the foreign movies. And I got very heavily into that. So then when I went to high school, Victoria School of Performing and Visual Arts, my my love for movies grew and I also got into filmmaking. So Victoria's Victoria's school, for those who don't know, is it is it's a public school, but it's an art centric school. So instead of shop and home ec, they have video, ballet, blah, blah, blah. Leslie Nielsen graduated from Vic. So in high school, I got into video, so I took the video program there every year, video 15 in grade 10, and then video 25, then video 35, and excelled at that. Then I took a few, after graduation, I took a few years off, but still did little video stuff on the side. Then I went into film school when I was, I think, 21 at Nate Digital Cinema Program, and took that, excelled for the most part at that, 
I will say if anyone in the Alberta area, or even if you're outside of Alberta, if you are looking for a film school that's reasonably priced, I would highly recommend the Nate Digital Cinema Program. When I took it, it was only 10,000. And it was it was a really, really good program. I would say you definitely get your money's worth compared to kind of more established kind of premium colleges like Vampire Film Vampire. <laughs> Vancouver <laughs> Vancouver Film School or not and not to denigrate that. Like I, I do know Vancouver Film School is is a is a good institution, but it can be quite pricey. Then out of college, I did some brief video work with a local music video director named Michael Maxis. I won't get into the specifics on that, but nothing really panned out from that filmmaking protege relationship for me. So after that, I had kind of become disenchanted a little bit with filmmaking. I followed that up with doing a short horror film. So in this period around, I think, 2013, 2014, there was a short horror renaissance that was started by a short horror film called Lights Out, which actually segued into a fairly good feature film. So all of a sudden, everyone and their grandma was doing short horror films. God, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, and I did a a short horror film for all the wrong reasons so i basically did something that i thought people would want to see and not something that i wanted to make and suffice to say it was terrible so that didn't really pan out then i figured okay what if i did a web series where and i don't know how i came up with this it just sort of came to me and i'm sure other other people have tried things like this but I said, what if I did a web series where I filmed people's nightmares? So people comment a nightmare they have and I recreate it, right? So the first video I did was just a nightmare I had. Um, and then people started commenting nightmares they had and I slowly started recreating them. It very slowly picked up steam. I noticed if I engage with people on Reddit, so I had um, posted these series to the Nightmares subreddit and the Dream subreddit, it started picking up. And Reddit, weirdly, is a recurring thing in my film career. I don't know if I would have... It, it's weird. It's like a recurring character. So over time, I had gained a following through my Nightmare series because I kept at it, which is... One thing I will say to filmmakers, like, just keep at it, right? Like, so many people, they do a few videos and they don't go viral, so they kind of lose interest. I'll say just keep going, right? Over two to three years of doing the Nightmare series, I kind of discovered my strengths and weaknesses as a filmmaker and kind of developed my own recognizable style. And then around 2018, 2019, I felt it was finally time to start pursuing making a feature length film. So I made a proof of concept for the feature film that I did. The proof of concept short was called Heck. It didn't necessarily go viral by any means. And it only got into one small festival in the States, but 
I was happy with the outcome. It wasn't like the short film I did years back where it was something I didn't want to make, but I thought others would like. It was kind of the inverse of that, where I made something I really wanted to make and it came out exactly the way I wanted, but it didn't quite spark an audience. But after that experience, I felt confident enough. Okay, now I can finally make a feature length film. I was in my late 20s at the time and thought, okay, I'm still a young director. I still am, I guess, but I can only be a or capitalize on the young director thing for so long. Once I start getting into my late 30s or 40s, I'm just a just a guy with a camera, right? So <laughs> so I got a little team together, my friend Edmund Rotea as the executive producer, my close friend Jamie McRae as the director of photography, other people like Anthony Gortz and Gerardo Ramos helped with kind of pre-production stuff. And I got my friend Joshua Buckhalter to be my assistant director. We applied for a few grants. We got exactly zero of them. We then started a crowdfund and the crowdfund was successful. That's awesome. Yeah, you'd be surprised if you if you've never crowdfunded before, but you have a little community of people who love you and, and are confident that you're going to make something good. You'd be surprised who will donate. Right. Like I had friends who I hadn't really talked to that much in years from film school who donated money and was so surprised by it. So we spent a lot of time on pre-production getting the film ready then we filmed it and for the most part it went off without a hitch and i would say it probably did that because i i plan for things like i'm climbing mount everest like i had binders and documents and what if this actor is sick what if this actor this happens what if the, like every my plan b's had plan b's when we were filming it, so the film, for those who don't know, it's about two kids ages four and six who are in a house and they wake up one night to find that the, all the doors and windows in the house, house have disappeared and their dad's missing. So they get scared and bring all the blankets downstairs to the living room to watch TV to comfort them and they kind of settle into a little slumber party situation with the hopes that eventually grown-ups will come and save them and then spooky stuff ensues working with child actors was really rewarding it is incredibly terrifying to do if you've never done it before and i had never done it before but once you get into the rhythm of it kids are actually fairly game and in a weird way, kind of natural born actors, because all they do is play, right? So if you spend your time with them and don't talk down to them, they'll they'll give you a performance that you want. Sorry, I've been rambling. Do you have any questions so far? Oh, I, I have many questions. I was just sitting back and enjoying oh. the context that you were giving. So do you remember the, the first piece of content you ever made? And if so, like, uh. what, did you, what did you create? I did a lot of stop motion when I was like 12, 13, which I think a lot of people my generation did. That era, the internet was just starting and 
really all I could do by myself in my room was little stop motion things. So I'd play around with that. And even going before that, when I was in elementary school, whenever there was a writing assignment, I was always excited because I was fairly good at writing stories. I always got good grades on my stories and they always had to be ghost stories or scary stories. The first award I ever won for anything I made was in grade six. I won an award for writing and I also won an award for DARE, Drug and Alcohol Resistance Education. So I won two awards, which was cool. Got a little plaque. And then, yeah, writing little scary stories kind of segued into making little scary videos. And I just did things so incrementally over time that it, it led to a future. Which is really cool based on what you've said so far. The fact that you somehow discovered horror and film in general, like so young, and then you like just kept on naturally like building and building on it to the present day. Because a lot of people start different things when they're younger or even when they're older and it just never materializes. It, it dies out. I know like when I was like 12, I used to play the guitar and mm. I always thought one day I just keep it going. But because I started so young, I didn't have that motivation to like practice and if you don't practice at something you're never gonna go anywhere so that's like one thing in my life where I'm like I wish I'd started like seven years later you know what I mean yeah I had actually took guitar lessons when I was around that age too and my guitar teacher didn't my parents got me guitar lessons so the teacher would come to the house and then one day the teacher didn't show up because we found out later he died (laughs) Oh, that's unfortunate. I felt horrible, too, because he was like, I didn't I didn't practice. I didn't do that. And he was this patient old man. And like, and then that was the end of my guitar career. <laughs> Before it began, right? Yeah. And then I'm also fascinated to learn, like, what is it, like your all time, like kind of favorite movie and why? Or film? So my favorite movie is 2001 A Space Odyssey. I saw it for the first time when I think I was 10. And as soon as I saw it, it, it was instantly my favorite movie. It felt like, felt like, oh, I didn't know you could make movies like this. It felt like a whole new world opened up of you can make a movie at a grand scale that's also an experimental film and weird. And if you are smart about it and don't talk down to the audience and give the audience other things to hold on to, people will respond to it. And yeah, that's that's been my favorite film. And then as far as horror films, I like Hitchcock. So The Birds, Psycho. I do have a soft spot for David Lynch and his whole catalog, which one cool thing about the movie was after our premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival this last summer, people started writing reviews of it, like, and a few people compared me to David Lynch, which, like, was so cool. Like, I can't believe, like, that's like being compared to, like, I don't know, if you're a musician, like, I don't know, Elvis or Jimi Hendrix, like, it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this, right? Someone said, it's like if David Lynch had directed Poltergeist. I'm like, oh my God, get out of my like head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's really cool, though. At the 
same time that people are beginning to recognize your work and it must be really encouraging and motivating to like to keep pushing the boundaries of what's possible and making pieces of content that you want to make as you kind of referenced earlier when you said that you made something that you thought the audience would like but then it was poorly received versus creating from the heart right that yeah that's that's a big lesson that I learned I think a lot of filmmakers think what people want to see and what I want to see are two completely different things and I think it comes from a weird ego place of oh what I want to see is is so this and artistic and blah 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 and the unwashed masses don't want to see that and that's completely not true you would be surprised how much the weird movie that you think no one likes and what people actually do want to see are are more or less the same things if you're smart about it right so i want to use the example my mom is not really into experimental cinema by any means But in the early 90s, when Twin Peaks came out, the TV show, which was this incredibly experimental, weird show, she loved it and audiences loved it, right? People will try something weird if if you make it worth their while, if, if you make it have something else, right? So with Twin Peaks, it wasn't just an experimental TV show. It had heart, it had mystery, it had humor, right? So... Audiences are a million times smarter than people give them credit for. People think because of some bad examples of, oh, I did an experimental movie and people hated it or didn't get it. Well, yeah, but maybe a lot of people will get it. Maybe on a second viewing, those people who hated it will come around, right? So when I was nine and I saw Blair Witch Project for the first time, I hated it because I was nine and just my idea of what a horror film was was fairly juvenile and now it's like one of my favorite films it's one of my little comfort movies so people evolve and change and will give things a second chance that's a good point and then sometimes not that i'm an expert by any stretch of the imagination but you you watch a tv show or a movie like one but then if you watch it a second or third or fourth or fifth time you see totally different things because the first time you're trying to listen to every word, but you might miss yeah. like half the, visu- the visuals, right? I'm sure you could explain further because you're in the industry. Is no, it- I, I I think that basically sums it up. Yeah, like you can always get rewarded by watching a medium that's fairly deep if you if you rewatch it a few times. So, yeah. Awesome. So in your bio, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier, that in 2017, you began the, the web series Nightmares, where you recreated real people's dreams and nightmares using minimalism and uh, that old Hollywood-inspired trick uh, in terms of photography. So can you tell us a little bit about the process behind creating the series and then yeah. how you came up with that initial idea? So it kind of happened organically because as I was doing these nightmares, I had limited resources, right? So I didn't have access to actors. And when I did have access to actors, it was a friend who didn't have acting experience. So over time, I kind of developed this method of of filming things by implication, right? So someone would comment, oh, I, I was lying in bed and there was a monster in the hallway 
well, there's only so many ways I can imply a monster. So I would have to do things like film myself standing in the hallway, but have myself in shadow or use things like sound effects to imply. Or sometimes people would comment that they had a nightmare where it was them and their family sitting in the living room. And I would do things like film my hand and just my hand or film someone's shoes or film someone in shadow to do clever ways of implying this room has lots of people in it or or there's someone over there. And over time, I kind of developed a style of telling a story without even showing people necessarily on the screen. And as for the old Hollywood trick photography thing, I'm by no means a digital special effects wizard. And at the time, I had a fairly bad computer. And so I kind of just relied on kind of old tricks of the trade. So things like matte paintings and trick photography and and forced perspective and showing things in shadow to kind of imply things. And also over time, I kind of developed a a lo-fi retro film style, which I had always kind of wanted to do ever since I was little. I've gravitated to older movies because they make me feel things that new movies don't. And I always kind of thought when I watched old movies, well, how come we we don't make movies like that anymore, right? Like, and I was always jealous of people in the 1960s and 70s. They got to make old movies and we, air quote, can't do that anymore. And, and I just kind of said, well, you know what, I'm going to make, old movies right now right i'm gonna put grain on them i'm gonna use old music i'm gonna use uh, make the audio sound like it's been put through a blender and i'm gonna make old movies today and yeah that's cool because i see a bit of a theme developing about really sticking to what you want to make the art and the content and letting the audience give you the feedback and obviously because you're continuing to do it and continuing to to develop this particular niche it's obviously that something that's working for you and there's probably a lot, a lot of people that have maybe in the past had similar ideas but they just haven't quite like executed on it like it seems like you're doing so yeah so that's, a, that's cool right people would do like kind of homage stuff so ty west the guy who directed x and and uh, the movie Pearl. He started his film career by doing a 70s kind of send up movie called House of the Devil. And for the most part, that movie, you can't necessarily tell that it was a movie made in the 2000s. Like it looks like a 70s movie, but he still did things that weren't quite 70s. So the audio was crystal clear, right? And most movies in the 70s, even if they're it's like digitally restored, this, that, the audio, because they were using old microphones on, on location, isn't quite that crisp, right? So with Skinnamarink, I wanted it to really sound and look like an old movie. And that can be challenging because sometimes if you like, take a four-year-old's dialogue and mess it up even more like four-year-olds aren't necessarily the best at enunciating so it can it can get get in the way of of it being clear 
but you can also hide a lot of issues in in that, right? So some of the special effects we used in Skinamarink, if it was 4K crystal clear, you would have instantly seen that the special effects were garbage, right? But if you put a layer of grain and muck over any special effects, it reads, right? So. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine that with the kind of the style of film, it's challenging to achieve the effects that you're looking for because of how much technology has upgraded, even at the iPhone level, even yeah. at the, the basic entry level, like kind of film equipment, right? Yeah, like it is, it is actually more challenging than people would think making something look old because if you're using a modern day camera and you want it to look and sound like something from the 70s, it's not just as simple as putting a filter on it because if you put a filter on it, people can tell right away that it's a tacky filter. You have to kind of work to make it feel old, right? So for each shot, I, I had bought a long time ago this pack of super 16 mil grain filters. And I couldn't just take one of those and loop it like over and over in the movie because people would tell. And also different scenes had different lightings, had different exposures, had different moods. So I had to kind of on a shot by shot basis apply different 16 mil film filters to make it work and kind of sing and the sound is the same thing too right i couldn't just put an old-timey filter on it and and bring the the curves down a certain way and just say it's done right because some audio i need to have a little bit crisper some of it i needed to have a little bit denser for it to work so it was like a fairly involved process and what's more you can't really get the sense the mood of something until you throw on the filter and make it look old so i couldn't just do an entire rough cut and then make it look old i kind of had to like ikea furniture it and and start from scratch and kind of play and play and play and play from the get-go until it was finished, right? It, editing took like three or four months and we had all the footage we needed. We had all the audio we needed, but it was just such an involved process of getting the mood to work that it took forever. What's well, also interesting, I know that if I was in your shoes and I was trying to create the, the same concept, I, I wouldn't get to the final product because I know I would get frustrated by like yeah. how finicky and like how many times you probably had to redo the same moment until your eyes were falling out your head and yeah. brains were like spaghetti, right? So like there was one particular thing we did and this involved multiple camera tests where I wanted to have scenes that were air quote pitch black. And I didn't want it to be like when you watch an old movie, when someone's in the dark, they're not really in the dark. There's light coming through the window or there's shadows or there's this and that. And the trick with that is if you do a scene that's pitch black, it's black and you don't see anything. Right. But in reality, when we're in a pitch black room, our eyes adjust and we can kind of make out details. Right. So we had developed me and my director of photography developed this kind of 
half infrared look where we just put a what's called a sun gun so just an on-camera light on the camera put a blue filter on it and shot it like that and it has the effect of kind of looking like that infrared look and then when I went to grade it because I didn't want it to actually look like infrared I wanted it to look I wanted it to feel like you were in the dark I played with the color of it and that was a surprisingly difficult process because your eye can kind of tell when a room's lit and when it's not so I had to like bring the lightness down bring the shadows up do all this stuff to make it read as this person's in a completely black room when in reality it's, it's not the case right so perfect We've been talking about nightmares and some of the, the tricks that you use during the creation of the series. So you might not know, but how do you think this impacted like what the audience like watched when it was released? Like, do you mean when I made the series, how did doing that affect the final product of the movie? Do you... Yeah. Okay, so I found... When people comment their nightmares, they're kind of telling you in a weird Freudian way by accident and by osmosis, this is what scared me at this age. So I did notice that a recurring theme, and I feel like it's almost, I'm confident this is a universal part of the human experience and we don't necessarily remember it, but I feel like everyone around the age of seven or eight years old, let's say seven to 10, has the exact same more or less dream. I'm in my house, my parents aren't there, and there's a threat, and I have to deal with it some way. I feel like I've had that dream and everyone else has had it because around that age, you're first getting to the steps of going out into the world and dealing with threats by yourself. And I swear everyone has that dream and the movie Skinnamarink is that dream writ large. And I've, since the movies played festivals, I've had countless people comment like, this took me back to when I was eight. This made me feel like I was a little kid again. This is exactly how it, how it feels to be a little kid and scared. So, yeah. So the Nightmare series really was kind of the perfect sandbox to understand what what kind of scares all of us, but we don't necessarily know, right? Because a dream, that's not something you consciously do, but it's also something that you consciously do, right? Like it's, it's you, you don't plan on having a dream. It just kind of happens to you. Right. But in the same vein, you're the person who's making it happen, right? Like it's a weird gray area of control and consent, right? So as you're going through the challenge of putting the web series together, what do you think you learned about yourself from like, the overall process? I learned that I have strengths and the strengths are atmosphere and tone and taking very little and and making it have a feeling. And I also learned my weaknesses, which are, and I, I've, I've grown out of this, but I, it can be difficult working with actors and also even weaknesses that 
are completely out of my control, right? Like I don't have Michael's Bay's budget and that's not really <laughs> my fault, right? So I have to find no. ways around it, right? So I kind of doing the series learned what I was good at, learned what I was bad at and leaned into that as much as possible and just kind of leaned into atmosphere and feeling over story and text. And with the feature length movie, there was one YouTuber called Your Movie Sucks who he, he reviews um, movies and he he liked the movie. He didn't love it. Like he gave it basically three out of five, but he said, so just a heads up, guys, this movie is literally all atmosphere, right? So I kind of leaned into atmosphere as much as possible and it, it paid off. So how many episodes, like, forgive me, is Nightmare? How many did yeah, you Yeah, uh, there was 39, and unfortunately, I had to put it on, I had to basically put the series on an indefinite hiatus, because doing a really big short film followed by doing a feature-length film ate up all my time, and at some point, I would like to get back into doing it, but... I don't know. It's 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 almost a thing of I'm I'm kind of afraid to go back to it, right? It's almost like, well, I made this. What if I just kept it that way and it could be perfect and by itself or blah blah blah. What if on this journey of making a a feature film I came back to it and it was something completely different and people didn't like it or or maybe a new audience will come to it. I don't know. An interesting dilemma because it could just be like a moment in the journey as you were exploring and then you like you said you've gone on to do, do heck and then skinner marink and that is kind of like your creative journey right right yeah it's it's and i'm also very much a person who gets in my own head about things which can be useful when you're writing something right because being a person who lives in your own head can have its advantages when you're writing a horror movie because of psychology and blah, blah, blah. But it also can be very taxing when you're, for example, looking through comments or maybe negative comments and negative reviews or waiting for like a distributor to get back to you, your email, right? Like it can be very difficult being the 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 artist one day and the business person the other right so but i i have a a very strong group of friends who are kind of more rational and um i'm so i'm so blessed i'm so lucky i have so many filmmaker friends who have been there for me through this whole journey through thick and thin and really were my cheerleaders and and a mom and dad who were supportive of this whole thing and a boyfriend who's supportive of the whole thing. I I think my boyfriend and a handful of people who've watched my channel, they've all seen every video I've done. Like he's seen everything because I make him watch it, right? But he's <laughs> been incredibly supportive. So, yeah. That's awesome. And so did you find that when you were releasing the 39 episodes did you see a positive trend in the amount of people like viewing each episode yeah like for the most part the trajectory was up it does go through dips mm. right because as an artist you go through dips right and sometimes you're not bringing your 100 percent a game 
sometimes people would comment nightmares that were difficult to recreate and it showed, right? But uh, for the most part, the trajectory or the trend was up, 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 right? And where were some of the places people could watch it? Was it primarily YouTube? It was just YouTube. Oh, just it was YouTube. solely YouTube. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And people can still find it? Yeah, it's called youtube.com slash nightmares. I'm kind of reticent to draw attention to all my social media because uh, since the movie's picked up, I feel overwhelmed, right? Like, I know it's a good problem to have, yada, yada, but now it's just... I feel like I can't respond to everything at once, right? Like it's it's been kind of overwhelming. Like I and I know in the news everyone's talking about, oh, what if Twitter goes down? And I'm like, oh my god, I wish Twitter would go down. That, <laughs> I, have, well, that I don't have to see all the com. And like, don't get me wrong, the love is great and the comments are great. All the love is great, but like over a while even having all the the positive stuff you get you get fatigued by it like it's like how many times do I have to say thank you so much right and I know that's an incredibly privileged thing to say like oh poor guy everyone loves your movie right but it's just a a it can be exhausting too because I I'm such a I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings person I'm such a people person that it can be taxing saying thank you over and over and trying to yeah, work it, it, in different way. ways without getting banned for like like repet- being a bot right yeah yeah cool so I uh, will just take a brief hiatus for a little tea fact so tea contains no sodium fat carbonation or sugar, and apparently is calorie-free. And this comes from steepeddreams.com slash blog slash tea facts. So it's always cool to learn about tea. All right, so what were some of the other projects that you worked on in the, in the time window 2017 to 2020? Obviously, I know you worked largely on the film, like, Hex, so maybe, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that and what it was about. It was at a a small online festival out of Portland. And also to add context, this was during COVID where every film festival kind of had to go online, right? Really, the only thing I worked on in that period was nightmare videos, but intermittently, and also the short film Heck, because you'd be surprised how much time that takes up in in your life right like even doing a a 30 minute short film which is really a medium film can take up so much energy and so much planning and yeah I really just did that I'm really not that prolific right and yeah I did help my friends from time to time on their projects but I I probably should have helped them a little bit more frankly (laughs) but yeah outside of that I've just been doing that spooky stuff Do you do anything else or is it solely directing? Like, well, I write and edit sound design. And really that's, and and I kind of act as a producer because I have to, right? Because when you're an independent filmmaker, you kind of have to be a little bit of a producer. But really my strengths are, are the main things, writing, directing, editing. It's cool that you feel comfortable doing like all of them because a lot of people are like, I can only direct or I, I can only like oh, edit. And, and, and that's I- actually by design because 
it's kind of my downside is I'm such a control freak. The video has to has I have to have complete control on it. And even when I signed with the A distributor, Mutiny Pictures, now uh, Bayview Entertainment, just sending it off to someone to take care of has been difficult, right? Like when they made the movie to get ready for Fantasia. I was worried the whole time of like, oh, what if they mess it up, right? And then when I saw the movie play on a screen, it looked gorgeous and even better than how it looked on my computer. But it's kind of a a downfall of mine is I can be such a micromanager when it comes to my own art. It's it's hard to let other people do it, right? So, What are some strategies that you've maybe developed to help yourself with giving a little bit of control to kind of getting bigger and you and you can't do like everything. I find the most important thing is when you're picking your cast and crew, picking someone you're comfortable with, just working with, it is way more important than necessarily, and it's not cut and dry, but picking someone who has necessarily an impressive resume because working with someone you're comfortable with and can have a relationship with on set and everything is sometimes a lot more important, right? So when I picked my director of photography, he actually wasn't a director of photography, he's another filmmaker, but I felt most comfortable working with him and I felt he kind of understood what was going on in my head and vice versa. So that could be another thing is surround yourself with, I don't, I don't, I don't want to imply surround yourself with sycophants, but surround yourself with people who kind of get you and understand you and vice versa. So that when you do have to release control to them, they, they will kind of work with it well. And also when you re- release control to them, and you need to pull control back their reciprocal of it. So it's essentially like a healthy working relationship and it's more about developing that trust and then like working together to create the final output, even even if you have to put a lot of time into developing a certain skill or figuring something out in the problem solving aspect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And film is kind of a unique beast because I, I think filmmaking is is the most collaborative of any art form, right? Like, there's only so much you can do by yourself, right? You, you need to bring in others to make something more ambitious, right? It's kind of the nature of it, right? Because from the time of its inception, movies have always been a scientific, literally, experiment that evolved into this collaborative medium that something like say writing a book or even music right like i know music requires a lot of people sometimes but it's a lot easier to just be a person with a guitar and singing as opposed to movies you do need to bring in others to make it work right awesome and then what kind of advice would you give to an aspiring director an aspiring producer an aspiring editor you know kind of looking break into the industry, maybe fresh out of graduating at film school or they're about to in six months time. So I would Mm -hmm. say first and foremost, the idea, the vision of the egomaniacal director who's an asshole 
don't do that. It's not going to serve you well. Be nice to people because if you're nice and you're first starting out, people are way more willing to work with you than if you're an asshole and have a bad reputation. And I think you'll find the the output that you make is more rewarding because when you look at the videos you've made, you don't have all these horrible memories of, oh, we had that fight on set or I was an asshole and I regret it, right? So being nice is, 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 is way more rewarding. I would also say when taking feedback, and this is hard because I'm super thin-skinned, right? When taking feedback, bear in mind a lot of advice even if it's coming from a air quote expert, isn't necessarily good advice. We have a cognitive dissonance of, oh, if this advice hurts, it must be because it's true, because they wouldn't be telling me this, this, this kind of harsh advice if it wasn't true. And that's not always the case. Sometimes harsh advice is wrong, right? Like, eh, and part of being a director and a filmmaker and an artist is sifting through advice and un understanding, right? So um, don't listen to everyone's advice. And I'm not saying don't take advice. That's not what I'm saying. But don't don't take everyone's advice in filmmaking and don't be an asshole and treat your cast and crew well. And if you don't treat them well because of an issue, apologize. So, yeah, take time to discover what kind of director you are, because no one else can be that person but you. So, Good advice, man. Nailed it. But where do you kind of see the ministry going in the next three to five years, let's say? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I'm just here for the ride. Making your own stuff, kind of figuring it out as you go? Yeah. I will say a lot of times... People underestimate the power of going to an actual movie theater. There's a, there's been a cavalcade of horrible think pieces about how Gen Z don't like going to movie theaters. When this year they released a, a sequel to the Minions movies and kids literally came and dressed up in suits for it, right? Like yeah. people love going to the movies for any number of reasons yes streaming's here to stay and that's great because we all can't go necessarily to the theater but you know there's something magical about seeing stuff on the big screen and also incidentally there is something magical about watching something at home with your boyfriend and cats right so they just both coexist and uh, yeah, yeah. right there's they more than around. one way to enjoy a movie right and that's a good thing cool so what do you do to look after your physical and mental health on a daily basis to, you know, to ensure that kind of healthy work-life balance? Because obviously you spend a lot of time uh, looking at the screen. I get out. I go for lots of walks. I get my 10,000 steps. I try to eat healthy. I try not to drink too much. Part of that, too, is, though, as, as, as once I turned 30, I was like, ah. Uh, Probably shouldn't drink this much because it's aging me. Wear sunscreen. The only anti-aging cream at the end of the day is sunscreen. And uh, try to work out three to four times a week if you can and are able to do so. But I'm not trying to be ableist there. I understand that not everyone can work out. But yeah, that's what I do. 
I know that's a very a very queer answer like just eight glasses of water get your steps in diet blah 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 but that's that's what I do it was pretty impressive man I try and go to the gym like twice a week and play spots too so I've definitely been taking my health more seriously as yeah I get older and I like you I definitely drink a lot less than I used to because you are right like every time you do it it seems like you you react worse yeah yeah it's it's it can age you but also i don't know everything in moderation is good we drink for a reason because it can it does have its rewards in some ways so but you know don't go overboard so what's kind of next personally and professionally so here's the thing once you finished cutting a movie that's only kind of the beginning because there's this whole period of selling it, distribution, film festival here, film festival there, finding a streaming service, looking into theatrical, seeing reactions in different countries and different markets. So really from the time you hit render and it's done, you have a year long period of, of having that movie around your neck. In that time though, uh, I will start writing a follow-up film I'm not 100% on on what I'm going to pick, but it's either between two ideas. One is a take on the Pied Piper story, but obviously spooky. The other is, I think I might put this one on the back burner for movie three, but I had an idea for a movie called The Backward House, where three strangers see the same house in their dream. But that one, I'm feeling more, I'm leaning more towards the Pied Piper thing, so... That's probably project number two. That's also, and maybe if I ask you again in six months, it might change because it's always yeah. evolution of like thoughts and emotions, right? And environments and ideas. I do find the the Pied Piper one I lean more into when I'm upset because it has a sad ending. And I find the Backward House one because it's more positive and probably has is going to have a happy ending. I lead into more when I'm happy. So we'll see. We'll see. However depressed or angry I am over the next six months is probably going to determine what the second movie <laughs> will be. So. Well, at least at least on a positive note, you you know you and like what you like to do, right? In a good in a good sense. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing a little bit about what you've been up to and what's coming up and a little bit into your mindset and that creative process and really making things that you want to make. So all I can say is I hope you had fun. I sure did. Let me tell you either on the record, off the record, but I was really nervous coming into this and you are a really good podcaster you instantly made all my nerves kind of subside so you've definitely picked the right vocation mike thanks very much all right everyone this was another episode of the tea with mike show with kyle ball really talking about filmmaking horror that creative process making sure we look after our physical and mental health If you enjoyed Kyle's story, make sure you check out some of the other great stories from people all over the world at teawithmike.com and on all of the major podcasting platforms, the Apples, the Spotify's, the Google Breakers, the Stitches. And thank you, as always, for supporting the Tea With Mike show. Thanks, Kyle. It's the Tea With Mike show.